invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to our text for this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. And there we read, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. We continue in our series through the book of Hebrews, and especially now in Hebrews chapter 11, we have looked at those in the hall of faith that the writer, as he has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shows us from the Old Covenant, those men and women from the Old Covenant who trusted in the promises of God, who believed in God's covenant faithfulness. And this morning, we look first at Moses' parents here in verse 23, who by faith trusted in God and trusted him to the point where they obeyed God rather than men. That's our first point for this morning, obeying God rather than men. We read again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So we see here that the story of Moses begins not with Moses, but it begins with his parents, Amram and Jochebed. And more specifically, we see that it begins with his parents' faithfulness to the Lord. What a wonderful thing for us to consider on this Father's Day this morning, to consider how important our faith as parents is in the Lord. Because Scripture teaches us that our faith directly impacts our children. You know, this is a common theme throughout Scripture. This theme that the faithfulness of parents to the Lord has a direct impact or it has a direct influence on their children. We think this morning about Samuel's parents in the Old Testament. If you recall, Samuel's mom, Hannah, had been praying for a child for years because she could not get pregnant. And she prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son... Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She earnestly desired a child from the Lord. And we know that God granted Hannah a son, whom she named Samuel. You know, if you want to read a wonderful prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise to the Lord, read Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's a prayer that exalts God and that praises God's faithfulness. And we know that Samuel 
was dedicated to God, and he grew up to be a faithful man of God. He was a leader in Israel before the rise of the kings of Israel. And so what can we trace that back to? We can trace that back to the faithfulness of his mom, the faithfulness of his parents. We consider this morning Timothy in the New Testament. We know from the New Testament that Timothy was a young pastor in the early church, And when the Apostle Paul wrote to encourage Timothy, Paul wrote, I I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So when Paul writes to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, you you are the product of a long line of people who have been faithful to God your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now you, Timothy, as well. And Paul later wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Timothy had been taught the sacred scriptures since childhood. So we see, loved ones, that the faithfulness of the parents of Samuel and of Timothy directly impacted their children's faith. And the author of Hebrews commends to us this morning the faithfulness of Moses' parents. Moses' parents who exercised faith in the Lord by hiding their child for three months. They put their own lives in danger by choosing to hide their son and to protect his life. You know, as we consider what they did in protecting Moses, you know, we might think that by acting in this way, the parents of Moses were merely acting on parental instinct. What parent would not protect their child from being put to death? But the writer of Hebrews tells us that this is more than just a parental instinct. They were acting in faith. They were trusting God. We see in the book of Exodus that Pharaoh had issued a command that all the Hebrew infant sons were to be put to death immediately after uh, being born. This was Pharaoh's way of trying to curb the rising population of the Israelites in Egypt. Right? He was afraid that they would grow so populous and so strong that they would be able to overthrow the Egyptians. We read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. What does this verse indicate? It indicates that God's promise to Abraham is coming to pass. That promise that Abraham would be blessed with a large family, with descendants too numerous to count. We see this verse is showing that that promise is being fulfilled. Continuing on in verses 8 through 10 of Exodus chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. Joseph, who we know centuries earlier, was instrumental in planning and preparing for a famine that devastated the whole world. And because of Joseph's planning and the way that God blessed him and used him, Joseph not only, uh, God not only used Joseph to spare the family of Abraham, uh, Abraham's descendants, but even those who were non-believers in Egypt and throughout the world. Continuing on in verse 9, And Pharaoh said to his people, Behold, 
The people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So Pharaoh commanded the Hebrew midwives. Verse 16, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But we read that rather than obeying Pharaoh, we read instead that the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but they let the male children live. But Pharaoh, we know, didn't give up. We read in verse 22, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So Pharaoh, seeing that he was unsuccessful in his command over the Hebrew midwives, now commanded all of the population of Egypt to carry out the slaughter of the Hebrew male babies. And this is, loved ones, where we see the faith of Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed. They were Levites, They were Levites who trusted in God's covenant promises. We read that they feared God more than they feared man. And so we read about how they showed their faith. They showed their faith specifically by protecting their infant son. We read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, the description of the infant Moses as being fine, or some translations say beautiful, uh, it describes an uncommon beauty. You might say that Moses was a strikingly cute baby. If his parents were on Facebook, they'd put pictures all the time of Moses, right? The woman, we read, conceived and she bore this beautiful child. But when the Bible describes Moses as being beautiful or fine, it points to something even deeper. Because when we read the New Testament, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, that Moses was born, and it says that he was beautiful in God's sight. So Stephen clarifies for us what Exodus is speaking of. And as we consider uh, the rest of of Exodus chapter 2, we consider this baby that was given to his parents, this baby who was not just beautiful, was not just good-looking, but he was beautiful to the Lord. He was beautiful in God's sight. And his parents might have had a sense as they looked upon him that their son had a very important role to play in God's plans for his people. And so throughout Exodus chapter 2, we see how God then, according to his mysterious providence, preserved Moses' life to the point where Moses ended up being raised in Pharaoh's household by Jochebed, by his biological mother. 
And we see how also in Exodus chapter 2, as we read in our second reading, how in God's providence, Moses grew up receiving the finest education in Egypt because he was a part of Pharaoh's family, a part of Pharaoh's household. Uh, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, continues on, and he says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. In fact, you know, when we read the first five books of the Bible, we see how brilliant Moses was. He is the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These wonderful books as he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We see his education shine through. Beloved ones, we consider this morning that in God's providence, Moses not only received a great education, his life was not just spared, but he also received nurturing catechism from his mother, his mother, his biological mother. He received this teaching from this mother who had shown great faith in the Lord by disobeying Pharaoh when she was commanded to sin. And now, in God's providence, she was now able to be with her son as he grew up. She was able to teach him about Yahweh, about the Lord. She was able in those tender years to teach him about God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to teach Moses about the history of God's people, and to teach him about the one true God. And so you can imagine as Moses was receiving this instruction from his mother and then going on to Egyptian university, whatever it was at that time, as he was being bombarded by the theology of the Egyptians, as he was being bombarded by the wickedness of that empire, um, as he was being instructed in the ways of the world, it was that teaching that he had received from his mother that brought him to faith. That was God's means of bringing Moses to the faith. And so for all of us who are parents here this morning, it can sometimes feel like our instruction to our children is drowned out by the culture around us. Beloved ones, I want to encourage you that God uses us along with the church to draw our children to himself. We are the means God uses to draw our children to himself, and so let us therefore be faithful in our instruction, in our catechism, in our family devotions, and in bringing our children to the church. Because in this passage, we see the the faith that Moses' parents had, the faith that they instilled in their child. And we see that when Moses grew up, then Moses trusted in the Lord. And he chose, we read, to suffer the reproach, to suffer the insults, the rejection, the disgrace of Christ in the eyes of the world. That is our second point. And Moses chose to suffer the reproach of Christ. We read verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for 
he was looking to the reward. So in these verses, the writer of Hebrews explains that when Moses grew up, he willingly chose to reject his status as a prince in Egypt, and he instead embraced his identity as a son of Abraham, as a worshiper of the one true God. And, you know, before we move too quickly, I want just to draw your attention to what Moses gave up, what Moses rejected by faith, what Moses chose to leave behind when he instead chose to follow after Christ, to follow the Lord. As one theologian notes, first, uh, Moses left worldly honor and power behind. Moses, we read in verse 24, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about that. Uh, He was raised in a royal household, and we read that instead of embracing the comforts and the pleasures that came with it all, he chose instead, we read in verse 25 of Hebrews 11, to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose instead to be with the people of God than to be in the wicked comforts of Pharaoh's household. And, you know, we think about the opulence that Moses was surrounded by there in Pharaoh's household, in that palace and those, those grand halls of Egypt at the time, the, the, the reverence that he received because he was associated with Pharaoh's household. You know, uh, there was that recent royal wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle that had people all over the world, right, watching. Uh, they were really enamored by the idea of royalty and fame and fortune. And this is what Moses rejected. He rejected the royalty and the fame and the fortune that came with being a prince in the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time. So Moses left worldly power behind. And second, he turned his back on the fleeting pleasures of sin. We see in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Moses at that time could have reasoned that uh, Joseph had been a high-ranking member of the Egyptian government. And so it would be okay for him to remain in his position of power and prestige. But we know that it was not a sin for Joseph because while Joseph was in power, the people of God were not being persecuted by the Egyptians. God had installed Joseph in that place of power in order to protect his people during that severe famine. Joseph himself admitted to this. He said to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. That was what God had for Joseph, but things were different for Moses. See, if Moses had stayed in Pharaoh's household, he would have been choosing the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because in Moses' time, Egypt had become an oppressor and a persecutor 
of God's people. We see this, don't we, especially in Pharaoh's decree. When Pharaoh decreed, when he passed that law that all the Hebrew male infants were to be drowned in the Nile River, you know, it was more than just a pagan king commanding the citizens to do something wicked, the citizens of his kingdom. But we know as Christians that in the background of it all, there was a spiritual battle going on. It was a spiritual battle in which Satan was actively trying to hinder the plans and the purposes of God. Because we know that it was out of Israel that God would bring a redeemer for his people. This was the promise that God gave to Adam and then to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Pharaoh was not acting alone, but he was being guided by Satan, by Satan who was trying to make sure the redeemer would be killed before he could accomplish his work. Loved ones, this is why Jesus' infancy is so similar to Moses' infancy. We think this morning about Jesus' birth narrative, about the Christmas story, we might say, as it is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. That when Jesus was born, we know that a similar command was given to the king at, by the king at that time, by King Herod, the command that all the male children were to be killed. And uh, one theologian explains the significance of the similarities between Moses' infancy and Jesus' infancy. He says, God's sovereignty is seen in the fact that the birth narrative of Moses points to the coming of the ultimate redeemer, Christ Jesus. Moses is a type of Christ. Like Moses, Jesus is born into a situation of severe persecution against the people of God. The ruler in both stories destroys Hebrew infants in order to prevent the coming of a deliverer. Both redeemers escape the holocausts, and it is ironical that in the case of Jesus, he had his family flee the massacre by going to Egypt. God thus lays down a pattern early in the life of Moses that is repeated and heightened in the life of Christ. And then he says, indeed, Jesus delivers his people as Moses delivers his, but how much greater is Christ's redemption? Therefore, Jesus is to be seen as a new and a greater Moses. He loved ones while Moses was a great redeemer in the history of the church. He was great in leading the people out of slavery in Egypt as God used him to lead the people. You know, this morning, we don't worship Moses. We worship Christ because he is the new and the greater Moses. You know, that Christ has redeemed us from slavery to sin and death. We read the good news in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, where Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul then says, In Christ we have been set free from sin. We have been set free by the new and the better Moses. 
So, loved ones, we look to Christ for our salvation, for our redemption. And the remarkable thing for us to consider this morning is that Moses was also looking to Christ for his salvation and for his redemption. We read these instructive words in in Hebrews 11, verse 26. We read in our passage this morning, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We read here that Moses' faith was in Jesus. See, that Moses was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises. Moses did not believe that he would be saved by the law. Moses did not believe that he would be saved by his works. Moses believed that he would be saved in the same way that you and I, loved ones, believe that we will be saved by one who would atone for his sins fully and finally. In fact, Moses' faith is clearly explained to us in the New Testament. We read that when Nathaniel brought his brother Philip to meet Jesus here at the, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Nathaniel said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of God. Nathaniel is saying, Moses wrote of him, and he is here now. We have found him. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, while he was speaking to a Jewish audience, he said, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And then in the Gospel of Luke, we read about Jesus' transfiguration. And who appeared with Jesus on that mountain? We read in the Gospel of Luke that Moses and Elijah appeared. And they spoke to Jesus about his departure, which is actually the word exodus. Moses, on that night, spoke to Jesus about his future death and resurrection and ascension. Moses put his faith in Christ. And this is a significant thing for us to understand this morning. It was a significant thing for the first century Hebrew audience to hear as they read this letter so many years ago. If you recall, what was their temptation? Their temptation was to leave Christ, to forsake Christ, and to return to the old covenant, to the old covenant types and shadows, to the old covenant worship. And if they were to do that, it's not as if they would be returning to the religion of Moses. They would be returning to an empty shell. They would be returning to something that is in the past because Moses himself was looking to Christ. They would be forsaking, leaving the very one that Moses uh, trusted in. And so, loved ones, we too look back to Christ. We look back to what he accomplished for us in, this li- in his life, death, and resurrection. But we also, like Moses, look forward, don't we, to the glory that lies in the future, that is in store for us, for all those who trust in Christ by faith. As we see in our third point that Moses was looking to the reward. As he put his faith in Christ, he was looking to the reward, as we see in verse 26 of Hebrews 11. Moses, during his life, in saying no to the sinful, fleeting pleasures of Egypt, many, I'm sure, 
in the household of Pharaoh uh, thought Moses was a fool. Why would anybody reject power and fame and fortune in order to follow Christ? Uh, This life, we know the world thinks, this life is all there is. We should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the model of the world. That's the motto of unbelievers. And yet we know, loved ones, that what the world seeks after is only pleasurable for a season. It does not last. And that's why it's so significant that Hebrews 11 verse 25 describes what Moses left behind, describes them as the fleeting pleasures of sin. That word fleeting means temporary or transitory. It describes something that doesn't last. It's here today, but it's gone tomorrow. And so while the world seeks after these things, what do we seek after? Loved ones, we seek after what is eternal. We look to what is lasting, to treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Moses' choice caused him, yes, to lose honor in the eyes of the elites of Egypt, but it brought him honor with God. It brought him acceptance through Christ, and it brought him an eternal inheritance. You know, as one scholar puts it, he says, whatever Moses' social position, if he had remained on as a member of Egyptian society, all we would know of him, if he had chosen to side with Pharaoh and stay in that household, if he had chosen not to leave the fleeting pleasures of sin, all we would know of Moses, this author says, is we would know him as a name on a mummy in the British Museum. That's all we would know of Moses. But what do we know instead? We know instead that we find his name in the hall of God's own beloved heroes. Because loved ones, the empires of this world are all fading. The powers and the pleasures of this world are transitory. They are built upon sinking sand. But the church of Christ will last forever. That's what we read in Scripture. The church of Christ will last forever because it is founded upon Christ himself, Christ who is the foundation. And so while the church might seem weak in the eyes of the world and we might seem foolish to be those who follow after Christ and flee the pleasures of sin in this life, while many of us think of us as, as of, of, while many in the world think of us as fools, we know, loved ones, do we not, that what we have is real and lasting and eternal. The late pastor James Montgomery Boyce said, said, you know, at the time of Christ's coming, Rome was in her glory. When Christ was born, Rome was in her glory. Shortly thereafter, there was a great struggle between the empire. And the Christian church, speaking about 64 AD with Emperor Nero, Christians were hauled into the Colosseum at Rome 
They were killed there by the hundreds. And Boy says, an uninformed observer in the Colosseum in those days, somebody just looking on what was happening there in the Colosseum, looking down on the death of the Christians would have said, what a pitiful race this is. How weak are the followers of Jesus, the Nazarene? Why, in a short time, they are going to be wiped out. Yet, says Boyce, I have stood in the Colosseum at Rome. It is in ruins. Rome has passed away, and the church, the church of Jesus Christ, is strong because of Jesus. So we think of the empires of history, Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, Greece, Rome, loved ones, they're all in ruins. But the church of Jesus Christ is strong because of Jesus. The late Jim Elliot, the missionary who died on the mission field, he said that very wonderful quote, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What Eliot was simply summarizing what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that reveals your work in history. We see how you have protected your church in every generation, protecting Moses and then leading your church out of slavery in Egypt. And we thank you for Christ, who is better than Moses, who has delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and who is now preparing a place for us. Grant us strength, we pray, to honor you with all of our lives. Help us, we pray, not to fear man, but to willingly suffer the reproach of Christ, if that is what you have ordained for us. Help us to remain steadfast under persecution and firm in our faith, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray.